church family, service will begin shortly, but we want to share a few announcements before we start. If you're visiting for the first time today, stop by our I'm New Wall located in the lobby. We would love to meet you and give you a small gift for attending. If you're helping us this year with filling an Operation Christmas shoebox, don't forget, we need those returned by this Sunday. But hey, if you missed out on that, it's okay. We still have a few ways you can help spread Christmas cheer. You can stop by our angel tree display and pick out an angel for the Salvation Army. It's located at the rear of the sanctuary, or you can ring the bell for the red kettle collection at three locations around Shelbyville. See our sign-up wall to volunteer. Thanksgiving Day is next week. Can you believe it? Remember, there will be no service that Thursday night. Our next Pathways session is Tuesday, December 5th. For those that don't know about Pathways, it's our on-ramp to membership and involvement. There are three sessions or steps to our Pathways. We provide a meal and childcare. Go to our website, click on the Pathways banner to register. Our Community Care Ministry is celebrating Christmas on December 7th by having some wonderful treats and singing Christmas carols. The fun starts at 1 p.m. Contact Doug at 502-418-5460 for more information. We can think of no better way to start our worship service than by celebrating the baptisms we've seen in the last week. Sunday morning. There's no better place. Amen. And we just want to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that he is King of Kings this morning. And that I was listening to some songs over the last couple weeks. And one of the songs was an old hymnal that uh, if you've been in church a long time, you've probably sang this song several times. But as we begin, we just want to start out with that one. And uh, it goes like this. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown. Our rock, the only solid ground. 
nations rise and fall Kingdoms once strong now shaken We trust forever in your name The name of Jesus Jesus is Lord in this place. Come on. Amen. 
We're going to sing another song. We've been singing it for weeks, but it's called Rest on Us. And I just wanted to introduce this in a little bit deeper way. You know, when Jesus was ready to leave and go back to heaven, he was telling his disciples, because I know that they were probably upset, thinking, where are you going to go? And he told them, I, am, I have to go because the Spirit has to come to do the work. And he said, there's so much more that I want to tell you, but I can't, but I know you can't bear it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. And he will tell you about the future. We need to invite the Holy Spirit in our lives every day to rest on us, to rest in our lives so that he can make the difference and change our hearts. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind. And then it came in like fire, like cloven tongues that were in the air. The Spirit of the Lord can be in this place and can move our hearts. So as we sing this song, let this just penetrate in your mind and your soul.
your prayer this morning.
to conquer death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of all shall not heal shall Check, check. I, I was already in the right place. <laughs> All right. I love the Bible. It's got so many great stories. And especially I love the fact that there are so many great ago, maybe I'm not that bad off after all. I mean, there are some messed up people in the Bible. Would you agree? Would you agree that there are some messed up stories of people in the Bible? And, and so I love that, but here's the other reality. There are some stories in the Bible about people who had it going on and then messed up. So we can't ever just kind of let our guard down and go, check that box. I'm good. In fact, in fact, King Solomon, King Solomon prayed for wisdom. The Bible tells us he was the wisest man who ever lived. And the only problem I have believing that at all is dude had like 300 wives and double that in concubines. If those of you who don't understand concubines, think side hustle, okay? That's... So the wisest man in the world allowed himself to be tempted on a really high level by women. And it destroyed, because some of them led him to worship false gods that got him in even more trouble. 
And Solomon had consequences. You realize our sin has consequences? Even when our sins are forgiven and we get to spend eternity with God in heaven, there are often earthly consequences to our sinful choices. Solomon had consequences to his earthly choices, and he died, and the kingdom was divided. What that really brings us to is this next-to-last step, checkpoint in our journey on the road to recovery. And that is that there are some times that we're doing good, and then things go in the other direction. Uh, in the AA and NA world, the word they use is relapse. And it's really what we're talking about today is a combination of steps 10 and 11 in the 12 steps. Step, step 10 says, we continued to take a personal inventory. And when we were wrong, we admitted it. And look at the scripture. So if you think you're standing firm, you know, sometimes I think I got it. I, I'm good. I'm good. I got this. So when you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Step 11 says, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our relationship to God. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. And see, these things are going to get combined in here. Let me show you how they get combined in the road to recovery in principle 7. Reserve a time with God for self-examination, for Bible reading and prayer, in order that, in order to know God and his will for my life. Remember, step three, we surrendered our life and our will to the one that could restore us to sanity. And so now we're, now we're kind of doing maintenance of this, okay? And we're setting this time aside so that we can allow uh, ourselves to know and be able to do his will in our life. And for us here at Shelby Christian in our community recovery program, we just use this phrase for this idea. This is one simple phrase, evaluate spiritual growth. It's just a constant that we have to keep in front of us all the time because we all struggle with addiction. Now, you may very well, as we've said all through this series, you may never have had a drink of alcohol in your life you may never have taken an illegal narcotic of any kind, shape, or form. You, but you may not have gone to the boat. You may not have watched things that you shouldn't be watching. You may not have ever done, but we all have an addiction to sin. We were born into a world that's full of sin and the, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So therefore, we've all got this addiction to sin that we need to recover from. We all struggle with that addiction. But for most of us, most of us feel kind of like Paul did in Romans 7 that we've talked about before, where Paul said, you know, the good I want to do, I just can't seem to do it. And the things that I don't want to do, that's what I seem to specialize in. I just keep doing it over and over and over again. Some people talk about, you know, you've heard probably for a lot of your life about the old adage about uh, three steps forward and two steps back. You know what I'm talking about? You know the good thing about that adage? You're still making progress in that adage. Three steps forward, two steps back, do the math, put it on paper, you'll figure it out. You're making progress there. What we've got to avoid is two steps forward and three steps back. That's where Satan wants to take us. Satan wants to take us every time we make a little bit of progress just to keep reining things in and pulling things back. And that's where this idea of relapse or backsliding comes from. Falling back into old patterns of behavior. Now, we don't use, we don't use this word a lot, do we? 
We don't use this word probably other than when we're talking about people with addiction issues. We don't use this word. So let me give you some other words that you might think about that are very similar to this. Synonyms to deteriorate, to weaken, to fall, to backslide, to revert or regress. And I'll be honest, the rest of the morning, I'm going to use all those words interchangeably. But you get the idea. It's we were doing good and then we went backwards. We went backwards in some way, shape, or form. And there's a king in the Bible that we don't talk about very often. He only shows up really in a couple of chapters in all the Bible, one in one book and one in a different book of Scripture. His name is King Asa. Let me tell you a little bit about King Asa. He was a uh, king in the Old Testament, the book of 1 Kings, if you want to open your Bible and get there. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 15, and things were going great for King Asa. For quite a bit of time, things were going great. In fact, let's look and see how well he's doing. 1 Kings chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Asa did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Let's just, could you just stop right there a minute? Would you love to be able to hear someone say that about you? Replace King Asa with your name. Was doing great. Was pleasing. Did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. As his ancestor David had done. He, look what he did. He banished the male and female shrine prostitutes. That doesn't even sound right, does it? Like the shrine prostitutes, temple prostitutes. But that was a big thing, all right? And so he said, out, out. We're cleaning this up. Uh, and from the land and got rid of all of the idols his ancestors had made. Check this out, verse 13. See if you've got the guts. He even disposed his grandmother, Maka, from her position as queen Queen mother, because she had made an obscene Asherah pole. Dude had the guts to say, Nana, you're out. You're out. We ain't doing this. All right, let's go on. He cut down her obscene pole, and he burned in the Kidron Valley. Although the pagan shrines were not removed, Asa's heart remained completely faithful to the Lord throughout his life. He brought into the temple of the Lord the silver and the gold and the various items that he and his father had dedicated. He did a lot of good stuff. In fact, I'm going to show you the list real quickly. We're going to cruise through this, but look at this list of things just in those short verses that he did right. First of all, he banished the prostitutes. When, all right. Second thing he did was he got rid of the idols. When. Third thing he did was he disposed his grandmother. When, I think. <laughs> he cut down the Asherah poles she put in. Then the, check these two, last two out. He was completely faithful to the Lord. Now, here, here and, and he brought the gold and silver and dedicated to the Lord. But of all these list of six things, some of these you don't have the opportunity to do. Not in specifics. But this one, number five, every one of us in our arena can choose to follow number five, to be completely faithful Lord. And you think, wow, this guy's got it going on. It's going great. And things were going great. But his, his soft spot was fear. His soft spot was fear of attack. And he put his faith in the grandson of King Aram by making a treaty that if you'll go over a couple books in the Bible, it's recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 16. There's a, a king that has surrounded them, and here's what happens. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, 
King Basha of Israel invaded Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone entering or leaving King Asa's territory in Judah. So in other words, he had them surrounded. You couldn't come in, you couldn't go out. As of yet, they hadn't actually attacked per se, but they had them surrounded. They had them completely surrounded. And look what Asa did. He responded by removing the silver and gold from the treasure of the temple Lord. Remember he took it there? And now he removes it. He took it out of the royal palace and he sent it to King Ben-Hadad of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus along with his message. Look what he did. And at that time, Hanani, this, I love these words, Hanani, the seer, came to King Asa and told him, because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of in the Lord your God, you missed your chance. You ever feel like you missed your chance? Or have you ever looked back on a situation after the fact? You know, hindsight, 2020, and you look back and, wow, it was right there. It was right there, and I missed my opportunity. And he said, in this case, Hanani told him, you missed your chance to destroy the king of Aram. You know, see what he's saying? He's like, if you had only put your trust in God like you had done so many times before, when this army surrounded you, remember you trusted God, you thought he could do anything. Why didn't you think that he could help you destroy this army instead of you having to enlist and put a hit out on with it by taking the treasury from the temple? And then he tells him this. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and the Libyans and their vast army with all of their chariots and charioteers? At that time, you relied on the Lord, and he handed them over to you. He said, you remember? You remember when you were under attack before? And, and, and the Lord gave you the victory. But now you forgot it, and you missed your chance. Once again, how many times have we missed our chance at an ultimate victory by not relying on God, by putting our faith somewhere else or in someone else, and we missed an opportunity for a victory that God was going to deliver just like he had delivered other victories in our life, just like he had seen us through other hard times in our life. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And there's just so many nuggets in it. Fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. From now on, you will be at war. There's consequences for our sinful actions. Asa, forgive you. But from now on, you're going to spend the rest of your life at war as a consequence for not trusting. Asa became so angry with Hanani for saying this that he threw him into the prison and put him in stocks. At that time, Asa also began to oppress some, some of his people. The rest of the events of Asa's reign from the beginning to the end are recorded in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot disease. <laughs> Wouldn't have thought that would be what took him down, but he developed a serious foot disease. And yet even with the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help but turned only to his physicians. So he died in the 41st year of his reign. Do you see these things in King Asa? Here's where he messed up. Here are the things that got him in trouble, where he reverted, where he digressed. 
He removed the silver and the gold that he had given and brought as an offering. He, he removed it to pay for a treaty. He was confronted by Hanani and told that you missed your chance. And all he did was get mad at Hanani. And he forgot the victories. He forgot the victories that the Lord had given him. The results were, he spent the rest of his life at war. He developed a serious foot disease. He didn't turn to the Lord for help. He went and got other doctors instead of asking the Lord for help. And he died in pain. He died in pain. That's what happens when we back up from where we are. When we're in a good position in the Lord and, and, and we back up from that, it, it, it's not a win. It's not a win. So if we're going to avoid this idea of whether we call it relapse or reverting or digressing or backsliding, there are some things that we need to know to keep moving forward and to keep on reaching for the Lord and for God's will in our dreams. First thing you need to know is this. It happens even when we don't want it to. It happens even when we don't want it to. Why? Why? Because of this. Satan is a deceiver. Satan, you remember the very first time he showed up on the scene? Remember the very first time he shows up on the scene in the book of Genesis? And remember what he does? He deceives. He deceives Eve and Adam. He didn't force them to eat of the fruit. He didn't hold Eve down. This serpent didn't wrap itself around him like a boa constrictor and somehow force her to eat. He deceived her. He conned her. He convinced her to eat because eat because that's what he does. The Bible also reminds us that no one, not even Christ, is outside of temptation. In fact, here's what the Bible says about Christ and about temptation. It's Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. This high priest, that's talking about Jesus, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet without sin. Now, let me be sure you get it here, because you may say, well, when was his truck broken down on the side of the interstate and had a flat tire and couldn't get it going at all? Jesus never had to deal with that. Okay, what he's talking about there are not the very specifics. He's talking about the temptation there to get angry, to blame someone else for your truck breaking down, to be all about something. It, it's, the, it's the generalities of, yeah, he gets it. He gets it. Because don't think for a minute there weren't times that Jesus found himself in situations like, really? Really? This is what we got going on here. Really? Because of people. Because of situations. And the reality of, the reality of temptation, the reality of an evil one trying to get us to digress, the reality we gotta know is that the tempter is cunning and we're all susceptible and it happens even when we don't want it to. The second reality that we need to know is this. It's really hard to break away from. It's really hard to break away from some of these choices. One of the most difficult things to do is to break an addiction. Whatever addiction it is that you're dealing with, whatever thing it is, it's really hard to stop. You know why? Because it starts with a temptation. You know why we define it as a temptation? Because we want it. it you realize, don't you, that it's not a temptation if you don't want it. 
If you truly don't want any part of it, like, you know, it's truly not a temptation. If you just don't like chocolate, you're weird, but if you just don't like chocolate, a Snickers bar is not tempting, right? It doesn't, it doesn't tempt you. It's tempting because Satan comes at us with the things that we enjoy. But he dilutes their real purpose and changes it because he's cunning. And it makes us want. And so breaking away from that is hard. Relapse, though, as hard as breaking addiction is, when, you, when you've gotten through something, when you've gotten through something and you relapse, it makes things worse, at least temporarily. Dean Burke helps teach in our uh, community recovery, and one of his favorite things to let people know about is when you go back out and you relapse and you do something again, it never gets better. It always gets worse. It never gets better. When Christians fall back into what got them in trouble, you know what happens? There's a feeling of failure. I blew it again. I messed up again. Guess who gives you that feeling? That also comes from Satan, who's just trying to convince you that you'll never get it right, that you'll never be the person that you were created to be, and that feeling is so strong that it often drives us deeper into whatever the addictive behavior is, that sense of failure, it's manipulative, it's, it's harmful. And so when, when we know someone that has fallen into that, when we know someone that has taken those three steps backwards after they've taken two steps forward and they're in a, in a kind of a worse place, the best thing that any of us can do is to remind them, you're not a failure. You are a child of God who happened to fail in this, but you are not a failure. Failure becomes an identity. Failing is an action, but being a failure is an identity. And God wants us to know that you're not a failure. You're not a failure, but it's so hard to break away from it. So when we see that happen in somebody's life, Paul had great words in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Paul's words were, we need to bear up one another's burdens. Hey, I see you struggling. I see you struggling. I'm going to pick you up. I should have gotten the picture of Derek Redmond to put on the screen. Some of you remember Derek Redmond. He, I, I believe is his name. He was the Olympic runner that fell and got hurt in the Olympics. And he's laying on the track, no chance to ever win. And then his dad comes out of the stands in the Olympics, picks up his son, wraps his arm around his shoulder, and helps him to get to the finish line. Did he win? Absolutely. Did he get a medal? No. But did he win? Absolutely he won. Because somebody picked him up. And helped him to finish. Helped him to finish the race that he was in. The third thing you need to know is this. God doesn't value you any less. God doesn't value you any less. It's dangerous to believe that somehow God's so mad at me. God will never forgive me. God couldn't. I, I just, I've just messed this thing up so bad. And the reason that's a problem is because Christ utterly absorbed and dispelled the wrath of God. That time on the cross, when he's hanging on the cross, close to the very end, and he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the very moment 
That was the very moment that your sins and my sins and the sins of the world had come upon his back. And guess what? The heavenly father, the creator, could not stand to be in the presence of sin. And so for that moment, Jesus took our sin, separated himself, and took it as a scapegoat off into eternity so we would never have to deal with it again. He utterly absorbed and dispelled Christ's wrath, or God's wrath on us. God's not mad at you. He's hurting for you. He, he doesn't value any less. Because once you come to him, once you give your life to him, unless you intentionally, I mean intentionally, throw it away, go out here to Guest Creek Lake and get on the bridge and stop your vehicle and get out and throw it into the pit. You intentionally throw it away. If, as long as you do not know that, do that. Look what Romans tells us. Look what Romans 8 tells us. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You are in him. You are not a failure. He loves you desperately. Desperately, he loves you. Nevertheless, we forget God's abounding love for us when we fall back into that sinful behavior, and we forget that he sees our pain. God sees the pain you're in. Maybe today, maybe pain that you're in right now, because the world seems so up to, upside down, and you can't figure it out, and God knows that. God sees that pain, and he's concerned about the condition of your heart. Any parents in the room? How do you feel when your kid falls down and breaks a bone? How do you feel when they're struggling with just being a teenager in this world? How do you feel when they get sick? How do you feel when they make a horrible choice to get involved in something that they shouldn't be involved in? You see it and your heart breaks. Yeah, maybe you're angry, but I hope it doesn't mean that you stop loving them. In fact, I can argue that when you see someone that you care about truly hurting, you don't stop loving them. You love them even more because you can see what's about to happen. That's how God is. God sees. He understands and he loves us deeply. Even when we can't see God's plan, he sees our pain and he refuses to flee. You know what we sing? Even when we can't see it, he's working. Even when we can't feel it, he's working. God knows every detail of our pain and comprehends the unexplainable anguish that invades our lives. Every cry, every tear, every pain matters to God. Next thing you need to know is this. As, long as, as well as him not devaluing you, there is no shame. There doesn't need to be any shame. Now, Earthly shame sometimes is useful in that it helps us feel uncomfortable about something and it makes us change. But guys, listen. Listen. Satan is cunning and deceptive enough. Don't give the enemy space in your brain that he's not entitled to. Get rid of it. Brene Brown is an author and expert on vulnerability and guilt and shame and uh, believes that the feelings, that these feelings get in the way of true healing. Here's something she said. As a shame researcher, 
<laughs> I don't know how you get that job. As a shame researcher, I know the very best thing to do in the midst of shame of a shame attack is totally counterintuitive. It's to practice courage and reach out. See, when we start feeling those feelings of shame, the natural thing is to isolate. The natural thing is to curl up in a ball. The natural thing is to avoid contact with anybody else because why? We're ashamed. And, and what Dr. Brown says is the best thing that you can do is to forge forward and practice courage to pray for and trust that your but God moment is just around the corner. It's just around the corner. It's going to show up and to practice courage and then to reach out for help. We all need friends. We all need friends. You know why Cheers was one of the longest running sitcoms in history? It's the theme song. It's a place where what? What are y'all doing watching a show about a bar? No, that's a different thing. That's what made it successful. We all want to have a place where everyone knows our name. We also want to know a place where everyone knows our pain and, our under, and understands. We all need friends. But here's the deal. You can have the phone number of every human being on the planet on November the 19th, 2023, and they are totally worthless if you don't hit send. If you don't dial the digits and hit send, it doesn't matter how many friends you got. And when one of them calls and you look at the phone and y'all shoot, if you don't hit accept, that friendship is worthless. We need people. We need people around us that will come into the midst of our shame and help us out of that. And the best way to combat shame is to be vulnerable enough, be vulnerable about our failings, and admit them. <laughs> you know those things we try to hide? Yeah, come on. We're all from Kentucky. We all do it. We don't want nobody knowing our stuff. And so we might have stage four cancer, but we don't want anybody to know. It's private. No, fine. Die alone. If we can't pray for you, we can't help you. We're in the midst of something and the courts are involved. We don't want anybody to know. It's embarrassing. All right, deal with it on your own. We can't help if we can't pray and we can't pray if we don't know. But you know, here's what I found out. That one thing, that one thing that you don't want anybody else to know about, that one thing you're trying to hide, you're telling the kids and the grandkids and everybody else, don't say nothing, don't, don't say nothing. A whole lot of people already know about it. A whole lot more people than you realize already know about it. And they're scared to say anything to you because you haven't said anything to them. We all got to put all that stuff down and get over it. And when we see something, we want to say, man, you don't look right. I'm hearing stuff that don't sound right. And, and then on the, if, it's, if it's you, we need to be saying, hey, I'm struggling. Can you help? Do you care? We, we need to be vulnerable enough to let other people in. And, and we also need to seek out ways to constantly confront those feelings without beating ourselves up for falling short of the expectations that other people have or that we have for ourselves. Last thing you need to know, and this one's a big one, this is hard, 
it might happen again. It might happen again. So what we want to do is transfer from two steps forward to three steps back to at the very least be making three steps forward and two steps back. And then if it happens again, it's three steps forward and two steps back. You realize that at that moment, you're still two steps ahead of where you were, right? We need to keep headed because it might happen again. We're all susceptible to temptation. And that means backsliding can happen to anyone even after they found recovery. You know why? Life... This is, this is transformational. Life is not failure-proof. It's not about how many times you fall down. Life is all about how many times you get up. There's no reason to lose hope for victory. Look what Paul said to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Here's why we hang in there. The temptations in your life, they're no different from what others experience. What? I thought I was the only one going through this. And God is faithful, and he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out that you can endure. I get it. I get it. That's tough to swallow. And if I'm just being real, there are days, there are moments that that's tough for me to swallow. There are, st- there are times when I can get in my feelings and Satan can get in my head and I give him space that he doesn't deserve and I can think <coughs> that this right here isn't true. That nobody else is going through what I'm going through. That's just being real. But I also know that God is real and his word is real. And so that, counter, that counteracts what I sometimes am feeling and what I'm sure sometimes you are feeling. Look what Paul, or excuse me, what James wrote about. James chapter 1 verse 13. And remember when you are being tempted? Do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone. Let's get that straight. Because sometimes I, I get in the world of social media and people will type something like, God will never give you, God will never tempt you beyond what you can stand. Listen very carefully. God will never tempt you, period. Period. That, that, that's the problem of knowing part of Scripture and not knowing it all. God will never tempt you. Who tempts you? The temptation comes from Satan, but it does tell us that he will never allow anything to happen that you can't stand up to and that he will not provide a way out of. It's, it, you've got to imagine a chess match. It's like when God came and, and said to, uh, or when Satan came and said, let me tempt this person. Let me tempt this person. Let me tempt Job. Let me see how strong he is. Okay. Well, and so Satan makes his move and God makes checkmate. But he doesn't cause the temptation. Understand that. That would be hard to worship that God. That would be hard to worship. You caused that to happen to me? You caused that? No. What caused that was sin. Living in a broken world. See, it's easy to think that those who return to an old pattern just aren't trying hard enough. People sit around and talk. Can't they get it together? Whatever it is, can't they get that together? Or people say, well, I guess that, I guess that addict, I guess they just need to hit rock bottom. 
you know, those proverbial rock bottom before they can ever realize true recovery? See, those are misconceptions that as Christians we need to work really hard to get rid of because the church has a major role to play in helping people achieve true recovery and freedom in our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know the difference between getting sober of whatever it is that you're addicted to, between getting sober and recovery? His name is Jesus. That's the difference. And and we've got to play a major role in sharing that truth with people. I love it when I'm reading the Bible and I read a passage of Scripture that I've read like, dozens hundreds of times and suddenly something pops out that I never noticed before and I never noticed before there's this verse there's this passage section in Luke chapter 11 and and here verse 33 probably a lot of you guys could almost quote this we get this one no one lights a lamp and then hides it and puts it under a basket Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Yeah, we get that. Light a lamp, put it on a stand. But check out what comes right after that. I missed this so many times. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it's unhealthy... Your body is filled with darkness. Now, verse 35, this was like my brain explode emoji, okay? Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Some of us are walking into lights that we think are the way out, and it's nothing but a train coming through the tunnel because we're following the wrong direction. If you are filled with light with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Wow. Here's the deal. Recovery is possible because of Jesus, the light of the world. So when you fall down, when you take three steps backwards, or even two, or even one, the bottom line is you need to keep on reaching for the true light and allow him to guide you. I want to ask you guys to go ahead and stand up if you would. It's time to do something about all this and to make some moves, to make some moves this morning. So... We're going to leave enough light up for you to see to get around, but we're going to bring down just so you can think. I want you to think. And so here's the moves you need to make. If you haven't already gotten your communion emblems, just make a move to one of the stations. They're all around the room and get those emblems. If you haven't given your offering, do that. The one move don't make is to leave. Don't make that move. That's that's the false move. So go get communion. Go get your uh, Go give your offering. Some of you probably today, this probably hit too close to home. And the move you need to make is to your knees. Whether it's at your seat or around the stage or over by the cross. And maybe, just maybe, somebody's feeling a pounding. And you know God's telling you it's time to move to a new relationship. 
Jason and Bobby are right over here by the baptistry. They'd love to talk to you about that. We can see that happen today. So as we worship, let's move. Like snow, the sun 
that know our chains are gone and we still remember the chains and we need to be thankful that they're gone what you're holding in your hand are two emblems that remind us of the breaking of chains one is a small piece of bread and one's a cup of juice to remind us of what Jesus did to break our chains. Todd's just going to play for a little bit. I just kind of want you to, before you partake, just to kind of stare at those emblems. Say your own prayer and be reminded of your chains that are broken. And if you still got some, Ask him in this moment to break those chains. take this little piece of bread be reminded that his body his flesh was torn to tear away our fleshly desires and to break the chains of our fleshly desires let's partake this juice reminds us of the horrific shedding of blood that was done to cover the scars that the chains that Satan had used to bind us and to remove them completely from our life. Let's partake. Hey, we got one more week in this series. We'll finish this up uh, next Sunday. Uh, we let the Thursday night crowd know on Thursday, <coughs> and it was in the announcements, just in case you're thinking about it, there is no worship this Thursday night, Thanksgiving. It's the only Thursday night all year we don't meet. Uh, spend that time with your family. Uh, try to enjoy the day. Be back next Sunday. We'll finish up this series. Then we're going into a special uh, Christmas series, and we'll tell you about that as we get uh, into that. Uh, hey, guys.
God's been doing some really cool things, and we had a big, uh, great conference this fall and a great breakfast. We just found out, and we have the opportunity now, that, and I sent an email to a bunch of you this morning if you've been to any of our men's events. Friday night, December 1st at 7.30 over in the stew, we're going to be hosting a nationwide simulcast of Promise Keepers. Uh, they're kind of retooling. They 20 years ago, they were doing men's ministry like crazy. They're retooling, and so we've gotten on the link. I'm Bobby able to work that out and we're going to be over in the stew which if you don't know what that's the building with the steeple okay that's the the student center you come up 7 30 doors will open at 7 it'll be a great night but ladies that same weekend on sunday uh, so the first sunday of december uh in the afternoon will be yuletide and yarn it's a great great christmas event to kind of kick off the season uh, a bunch of ladies get together to make crafts and things uh this year during the season so i uh, read about that in the e-news stop out and ask uh, somebody out in the lobby bread some out there can tell you all about uh, Yuletide and yarn. Here's four Christmas things. Man, it's that time, all right? So here, you ready? First of all, today is the deadline for Operation Christmas Child boxes. If you didn't bring yours, if you want to run home and get it back here by the end of next service, great. Or you can take it to Highland Baptist tomorrow, uh, this afternoon or tomorrow. They are the relay center this year. Number two, uh, we got an opportunity to get some poinsettias for Christmas in memory or honor of someone. Uh, We need to have that done by Tuesday. So Kim, going to be back at the table in the corner. You can stop back there and you can, they're $15. You can cash check or even a card. We've got that capability. Three, bell ringers is this Friday. We got a whole bunch of empty spots left on the, at the bell ringing uh, station. So the, there's sheets back there. You can sign up. It's one hour increments of time on Friday uh, at three different locations here in Shelbyville. You can stop back there if you can and pick up a, or take a spot. And finally, uh, the angel tree out in the lobby, a bunch of things uh, were taken last week, a bunch of angels. But if you take an angel, please, please, please sign the form out there so we'll know who has which angel, okay? So we can follow up if necessary. All right? Everybody good? Everybody good? Everybody good? All right, then get out of here. Go love God, love people. Watch him change the world. We'll see you guys.